Well, hello, friends, and welcome to In With The Old. We are a podcast focused on dispelling myths, building appreciation for God's Word, and rediscovering the Old Testament for the life of faith. Uh, my name is Tim Howe, and I'm joined with my co-host, Dr. Brian Koning. Dr. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing good, Tim. Excited to keep talking about the Old Testament. Yeah, and and we're really continuing a conversation uh, that began three weeks ago with our interview with Dr. Dr. Richard Everback. If you missed that episode, we uh, really invite you to go back and, and listen to that. It was an excellent discussion about his latest book. And uh, since then, we've been talking about the Old Testament law. And uh, last episode, we had a discussion about uh, the threefold division of the law. And if you've listened to it, you know that Dr. Brian and I, neither one believe that that's uh, a valid distinction to see the law is divided into three parts. Uh, and we invite you to go back and listen to last week's episode for that or to watch last week's episode for that discussion. Uh, but we're going to make it a little bit more sharp, even as we consider uh, the law and its usefulness or its continued role in the life of the Christian. Uh, Dr. Brian, today we're going to talk about particularly the Ten Commandments and whether or not Christians should still follow the Ten Commandments. Now, here's what we've kind of set up to this point, and Brian, I'm going to kick it over to you in a minute. But as we think about the law, here's what we know. Uh, the law was given to the nation of Israel, to ethnic Israel, God's people. He, he gave them the law on Mount Sinai as he essentially established them as his people, and he gave it to them uh, so that they would know how to live in his holy presence. Uh, as Dr. Everbeck mentioned, the law was not given in order for the people of Israel to earn God's favor or love, but it was actually given after God had already delivered them. And so we don't believe that it made them earn God's uh, salvation or his kindness or his love for them, uh, but that covenant to love was already there. And in one sense, that's why God gave them the law. Uh, but here's what we also know. We are not ethnic Israelites. We are not under the old covenant of the law, but rather through the blood of Christ, we are in a new covenant. And the New Testament makes that clear that we're not under the law, uh, which raises the question, okay, well, what do we do with the law? And, and especially the fountainhead of the law in one sense, the Ten Commandments, what do we do with those? Uh, so, Brian, uh, help us to frame this discussion. Help us to understand this. What do we do with the Ten Commandments as Christians? Yeah, and that's a good question and one that maybe lacks a nice, clear answer in most of our heads. And I want to start by uh, affirming that. If you feel that this is kind of an uncomfortable question that you don't have settled, um, some of that comes from the fact that we maybe are reading the Bible carefully. Jesus has an ambivalent attitude toward the law, right? On the one hand, you can have him saying, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And at the other times, he's seeming to ignore some of the commands, like leaning, healing on the Sabbath, right? Saying, you guys have misunderstood the purpose of the law. Jesus has these kind of two different approaches to the law. And so some of that bleeds into this discussion and, and makes us go, you know what? We have to be more nuanced maybe than we normally are in how to handle the law. So Tim, as you said, I think any Christian would say, okay, I know I'm not under the law. Uh, we might have a quote from Galatians later. Paul has some very shall we say, vivid things to say about people who think they are still under the law and that that's how they're going to earn yep. their way into salvation with God. Having said that, we have these Ten Commandments, which seem to be a unique set. 
we have always treasured them, especially here in America, right? The church, not the uh, not Judaism, but the church has really pu- mm-hmm. uh, pushed and fought right for their inclusion in many public spaces and kind of an embracing in American culture. I have the privilege of teaching at Grand Canyon University. In my courses, we sometimes ask our students, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? And we do this at the beginning of our class. So it's just kind of what have you gleaned from culture, maybe your backgrounds. And Tim, I'm surprised most of the time they get, well, you have to be a follower of Jesus. Okay, good. Gold star. But then they'll follow that up with, and then you have to follow the Ten Commandments. And so that's why we want to have this discussion of, okay, so where does the Ten Commandments fit in? If we're not under the law, are we still under the Ten Commandments? How do we follow them? Because they still look good. Only worship God. Check. Don't murder. Check. Shouldn't be lying. Shouldn't be stealing. These all seem pretty good. But if we're not under the law, why do they still seem so good? And so we want to kind of tease this out, play around with it a little bit, um, and, and start walking in our answer. So I'll start it, and then, Tim, I want to throw it over to you to to get your kind of feedback and maybe help us take this all the way home. I'm going to start right. my answer by saying that we do need to recognize that we're in the new covenant as Christians. The old has gone, the new has come. That needs to be our starting point. I think Dr. Averbeck brought that point home quite forcefully, right? There is something fundamentally new in how we're going to relate to the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. This law does not mean the same thing it did, it does for us as it did for ethnic ancient Israel, okay? So we're not under it. By the same token, though, that doesn't mean it is valueless. Just because we have a different relationship with it doesn't mean we have no relationship for it right? It still does affect us. And so the phrase I really like, and I use with my students, and I want to read it, and it's short. I don't know why I need to read it, but just to be safe. (laughs) Uh, I'm under (laughs) none of it, but all of it is useful. Let me say that again, because this is kind of my motto. And then Tim, I want want your feedback on this motto. I'm under none of it, but all of it is useful. What do you think about that? Uh, I I love that phrase, Brian, uh, because it, in, on the one hand, it preserves the, you know, the Pauline emphasis, right? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, do not let yourselves be bound again to a yoke of slavery. We are not under the law, and, and that is period. We're not under the law. Uh, and yet, again, following the lead of Paul and Peter and James and John, and, and of course, we believe Jesus himself, the fact that we are not under the law does not mean that the law no longer has use for us as Christians. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, the Puritans, by the way, uh, refer to this as the third use of the law. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, and the point's not to get into the weeds of that, the first and the second uses of the law right here, but just to, to uh, affirm that even as Christians have from the beginning said, we are not under the law, we are not ethnic theocratic Israel. Uh, we are the Church of Jesus Christ, which means that the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down between Jew and Gentile. We are uh, one new man in Christ. Uh, and to, to all of those things, we say amen. Uh, but w- what we're trying to address is the fact that many Christians will look at the law as uh, not just something that we're not under, but almost something that is sub-Christian or almost something that we graduate from uh, and, and 
we really are released from in the sense of having a new or better or more refined sense of holiness or morality uh, that that doesn't just, you know, set the law aside, but in some sense, it, it even, and this is unconsciously or, or maybe even subconsciously, we deny what Dr. Everbeck said a couple of weeks ago, that the law is good. Mm, yes. uh, we, we begin to sow seeds of doubt that God's law for Israel was not good. And to me, uh, that, that, that's a tragedy and it's a shame, uh, as it shows really a misunderstanding of what, what the law was intended to do originally, as well as some of the individual laws that, that people often cite. Yeah. And so one of the, the things that I think, especially about the 10 commandments that maybe trips us up is they would go, Hey, we're, we're listening to you, Tim and Brian say these things, but are are you really saying that just like thou shalt not murder is just a nice wise thing to say? <laughs> Doesn't that seem to have some more imperatival force behind it? Um so to something like that, we would say it does have more force behind it, but not because it is one of the 10 commandments, but because it's yes. one of the teachings of Jesus. So when you go to the ministry of Jesus and I I think it is so important. I try to emphasize this every time I talk about the Gospels. Jesus didn't just come down and go straight to the cross. He came down, he lived life, and then he does ministry for several years. And that ministry is vital. His life up to that point is vital as well. Um, But for our discussion here, that ministry is important because he starts making commands. You have heard it said, Old Testament law, Mm -hmm. but I say to you, right, it tends to be an intensification or an internalization of that Old Testament law. And when it comes to the Ten Commandments, nine of them explicitly are recommanded by Jesus to his followers, right? And so when we look at the Ten Commandments and these ones uniquely, I want to say, yes, those are actually still binding moral laws, but not because they're in the Old Testament law, but because Jesus has still commanded them or rather recommanded them for his followers, right? Uh, and in fact, he even adds in a 10th because we still have to have our nice 10 uh, in the upper room. A new commandment I give you. Uh, Tim, I don't know, since we both come generally from a Baptist background, um, I always wished I was in a higher church and I, I, I maybe have high church envy <laughs> in the church calendar. I always love Maundy Thursday going into the Easter season, a celebration of that new commandment, Monday from the Latin rite to to command. Um. Mm-hmm. But a commandment, a celebration of the love the body should have for one another as a new command that God, uh, through Jesus, gives to his followers. And so to go back to our topic at hand, those commands, when we look at the 10, I'd go, yes, they do seem to be more significant, but it's important to know why they're significant. They're not significant because they show up in Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5. They're significant because they show up in the teachings of Jesus explicitly to his followers. Right? Would you follow? Would you agree with that, Tim? I I would agree with that, and and I think Brian, maybe for a few minutes, uh, to, for us to discuss a little bit of the the Ten Commandments themselves, how they function within the law, and and how they really illustrate the idea of loving God and loving neighbor. Um, you know, when we think of when we think of the repetition of the commands in the New Testament. I totally agree that we follow them as Christ followers, uh, and therefore they are still binding. Why? Because Christ, uh, because we're followers of Christ, and Christ said them. Um, but even as we think about, well, why would Christ say them? 
and and why would they be uh, you know continued imperatives in the new covenant era? When we think about the way that the Ten Commandments functioned, even within the law, uh, and Dr. Everbeck talks about this in his book, and I know Brian, this is something that's that's widely known um, in Old Testament scholarship. You know, even within the law itself. You have over 600 individual commands, um, but the Ten Commandments ha- have really been set apart from those as, in one sense, kind of the the spring, and, and by that I mean the, the spring as in like a natural water spring, the source of the other commandments, so that some would even uh, say it like this, that the Ten Commandments are the, the principles or really the bedrock of the law, and then the rest of the, the individual commandments, the rest of the 600 plus, are in one sense uh, explications or explanations or particular applications of uh, those first 10. Uh, and so if we see the Ten Commandments that way, uh, it helps us to understand their importance in the Old Covenant, but also, and in, in there's a little bit of debate about this and in, in sort of the exact form it takes, but we see in the Ten Commandments this uh, primacy or this importance of honoring and loving God first, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make graven images. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Keep the Sabbath. Why? Because we're imitating God, mm-hmm. right? Who created the world in seven or six days and rested. So there's this, this emphasis on loving God in the first several commandments. Uh, and then there's this emphasis on loving neighbor, uh, in the other five or six, depending on how you divide them and count them and the rest. So uh, as as we think about the way that the law itself functions, and as we think about the Ten Commandments as the head of the law, and as we think about the division of loving God and loving neighbor in the Ten Commandments, we understand why it's so natural for Jesus or for Paul to say, well, yes, if the entire law hangs on loving God and loving neighbor, then we can look to the Ten Commandments and say, well, those are still useful. Why? Because they were what was originally intended to teach the Israelites to love God and love neighbor in their context. Yeah, that's a good point, because when you look at the Ten Commandments, even calling them the Ten Commandments is almost a misnomer. They're called the Ten Words uh, in the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. technically, and they are the summary statements of the uh, was rabbinic tradition 613 uh, total commandments and the law. Uh, right. Funny, just side point on how you can remember them. There's 365 negative commands, one for every day of the year. And there's 248 <laughs> positive commands, one for every bone in the adult human body. Um, wow. Now, that is probably not Thank why you, those Rabbi numbers Brian. work out that way. It's just a good memory device. <laughs> but um yeah. But yeah, the Ten Commandments then kind of sit over those as the summary statements. And so if you're trying to get at the heart of things, if you're trying to teach kind of what are the core principles, this is where you would go. And I think that's why Jesus kind of restates and reiterates these to his followers. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. as Tim said, the first four seem all focused on how to love God. And then the last six are all focused on how do you love your neighbor as yourself? Uh, and that's... Mm-hmm. That's how then the law is even further summarized. If you want the summary of the summary, right? Teacher, yeah. what is the greatest commandment? It's to love God. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so it all fits together that way. So for us as Christians, right? These are still very helpful. All of it is useful, but in terms mm-hmm. of things I am under, I'm not under it. I'm under the commands of Christ. And as he is recommanding those, maybe I'm under them, but not because they are back there. 
the interesting one, and maybe an attentive listener, Tim, has wondered, like, wait, you said Christ recommanded nine of the ten. What is the one yes. he didn't recommand? Interestingly, yeah, it's the so, Sabbath, right? Yeah. Go ahead. Take it away. Well, yeah, sorry. It, it, it is the Sabbath commandment, which one of the reasons that's so interesting is because, you know, in the last episode, we talked about the logic of the commandments, uh, is that of all the commandments that would seem to be sort of tied to creation order, uh, the Sabbath commandment, the, the reasoning given for that is because God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And so it would almost seem like, oh, that should be the one that's not even tied to ethnic Israel, but that's the one that explicitly in the New Testament, and I'm thinking here of Colossians chapter 2, I've got my Bible open mm -hmm. to it, uh, Paul basically explicitly says that we are not under any obligation uh, to keep the Sabbath. And of course, he argues for uh, a freedom of the conscience, and for some certain days are holy, and if they're convinced of that, then let them observe them. Uh, but he also it basically explicitly says, in terms of Christians, there is no obligation for Sabbath keeping. Uh, so it, it's fascinating that that is the command, and it's also interesting that that might be a surprise to us, uh, even as to uh, why or how the command was given in the first place. And you know, listeners, if this is something interesting, there's a lot to go into here. The Sabbath command is the command that changes the most between the two recitations of the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments are listed twice, once in Exodus 20, once in Deuteronomy 5. The reason for the Sabbath in Exodus 20 is, as Tim said, the creation story. But in Deuteronomy 5, it's slavery in Egypt. Um, so there's some interesting stuff there. There's then Paul kind of saying, yeah, it's not binding anymore. Um so if you find this interesting, actually maybe reach out to us. Let us know. We don't have a planned episode on the Sabbath, but Tim, I'm I'm fine doing one if there's interest uh, to talk about this and get into this a bit more, because I think there's some interesting parallels uh, and, and ideas that get brought forward. Um, but that probably does have to be saved for another discussion, doesn't it? Yeah, Brian, I, I think that would be great if our listeners would be interested in that. And and it might be helpful even in, in understanding how it's possible for there not to be a an explicit command, but there might be some benefit from uh, just the idea of Sabbath, even beyond a, a strict observance of Sabbath on a, a particular day. Um Brian, I, I'm going to throw out an analogy to you, and I was thinking about this as as we were uh, preparing for the episode. Um, when I think about the law and and its usefulness and its effectiveness, uh, I think I, I think a lot about my kids. I know that that your kids are a little bit older than mine. My kids are at the stage right now where uh, two of the three of them have learned to ride a bike, but it was last week that uh, my middle child, she's six years old, uh, she learned to ride a bike without training wheels. And uh, the rule at our house is anytime you're riding the bike, so this would be the law, right? Anytime you're riding a bike outside of our driveway, you have to have your helmet on. Um, that's the law right now. Um, and it's because there's little kids, right? Because of their age, because of safety measures. Now, guess what? Once they're able to ride that bike, they're going to be able to choose whether or not to ride that helmet. When they're adults, they might say, you know what? I know it's going to be safe. I don't want to ride this helmet. They're not going to be under that obligation. But even in that, that, that law of, hey, make sure you're taking safety seriously as you're riding this bike. You know, I, I, I think for us as we use the law, 
we can understand that we're not under it, but it's still instructive for us. And, mm-hmm. and at least for me, one of the primary values of the law for us is that it really keeps us from, from feeling the freedom to define holiness or define righteousness in any way that we want to. Uh, in, in other words, does our definition, even though we're not under the law of what is righteous and holy, does it does it correspond in some meaningful way to the character that we see of God in the Old Testament? Um, not to be bound by the letter, but to understand that we don't get to just define holiness ourselves, but that God is the one who defines it. So th- those are a couple of things that come to mind, and I wonder what you think about those, Brian. Yeah, that's a it's an interesting point because as you're when you say that I'm thinking of Paul and, and Paul mm-hmm. talks about right the old as this kind of tutor that has come mm-hmm. along and helped us understand but now we have freedom in Christ. And I think that is a key part in understanding how the Christian life is supposed to be ordered. Mm-hmm. If we truly understand the freedom in Christ, what forgiveness of sins means, we recognize that the question of can a Christian do X, Y, or Z is a foolish question because the answer is yes, right? That's what freedom is. <laughs> you can do things. You can screw up, and God's grace and forgiveness remain. The question isn't can you do X, Y, or Z, like some sort of legalistic check, you know, checkbox system, but instead the mm-hmm. question should become do you want to be more holy? Do you want to be more like Christ? And here's where the law does come in and be helpful, not as rules that I am bound under in some sort of sense, like I'm working towards my salvation or I have to stay on the uh, the, the good side of God's law. But instead, here is how God wants people's lives to be ordered. Here's how people will flourish in seeking mm-hmm. after him and living after him by obeying these ideas. Um, and just like you said, Tim, with the helmet, we can be very legalistic. You have to do these things. But when we understand the logic, the principles behind it, we now know better and how to apply ourselves to any situation. When something new and unique, not covered explicitly in scripture comes up, we still have those tools, those principles of here's how a man or woman after God's own heart should reply, should mm-hmm. act, right? Not in a checkmark system, but because the law has shown us the heart of God and we have sought after that and tried to mirror that in our own lives. So that's kind of where I go with that. I think that's a a good point you brought up um, in understanding the freedom of Christ and how that I think radically does change how we understand Mm -hmm. the law, but still ties into how useful the law and the Ten Commandments still are for our day-to-day lives. Yeah. Well put, Brian. And uh, as we think about the power of the Spirit in our lives, as, as we think about the desire of God to transform us into the image of Christ, you know, I, I think, again, of, of a verse that we've quoted before, uh, but what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, uh, where he says that you've known from infancy the sacred scriptures, mm. which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And and I, I think it's so important. Dr. Everbeck mentioned this, but when Paul's talking about those scriptures, he's not talking about the New Testament. Uh, even if if some of it was written and even known by Timothy, 
Uh, he says, from infancy you've known the Scriptures, at mm-hmm. which point he couldn't have been talking about even the earliest of the New Testament documents. He's talking about the continued usefulness of the Holy Scriptures to train, uh, to teach, and to rebuke. And, uh, and I love where you took us, Brian, to that commandment of Jesus, where he says, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another as I have loved you. And that's where I think what Jesus is, is doing is bringing us back to that fundamental idea that is new in the sense of, of the incarnation and the way that he showed us. But I do think it's something rooted in the Old mm-hmm. Testament, the idea that even the people of Israel were called to imitate God. Uh, and we're called to imitate Christ uh, and to do that as a people who can enjoy fellowship with one another, as those who have been bought with the blood of Christ, as those who have been redeemed, uh, and as those who have been adopted into a new family. Uh, but what an incredible calling and, and what a helpful tool we've been given uh, in terms of the law. And uh, by the power of the Spirit, of course, we believe it's still useful. Uh, but we're thankful for the Ten Commandments, and we're thankful to be able to follow uh, as followers of Christ, the commandments, all the commandments that he gave us, including those of the Ten Commandments that he repeated. Uh, so, Brian, thank you for joining me today, as always. And uh, for our listeners, uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on various forms of social media. Always feel free to email us with any questions that you might have. And uh, you can do that by reaching out at inwiththeoldpodcast at outlook.com. And uh, next episode, we're going to be coming back to our regular scheduled programming, uh, talking about Old Testament prophets focus on the future. That's the myth or mistake that we're going to be addressing in next week's episode. Uh, So we hope that you've enjoyed this and we hope that you join us then. Uh, But until next time, stay cool and stay old.